Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics, a podcast dedicated to exploring how things get places and the people who get them there. We'll talk with logistics and supply chain leaders about innovation, industry trends, and the future of the logistics business. Now, here's your host, Joe Lynch. Hello, friends. This is Joe Lynch with the Logistics of Logistics podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. Today's topic is the e-commerce lifecycle with my friend, AJ Kanajau. Welcome, AJ. Thanks, Joe. How are you? Doing great, doing great. I'm excited to talk about this topic with AJ. I think a lot of us, you know, we all do e-commerce. We all buy stuff e-commerce or DTC. I think a lot of us listening to this podcast move stuff via e-commerce or maybe even e-commerce company. So I think all of us know a little bit about one piece of it, maybe transporting it or the marketing or the websites or fulfillment. Fortunately for you guys, AJ knows the whole process. So he's going to talk to us today about that. So before we start, AJ, tell us a little bit about you and your company. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks, Joe. Yeah. My name is AJ Kanajal. I'm a CEO and founder of Fulfilled. We are a direct consumer e commerce focused fulfillment company based in Alabama. Nice. Maybe a month or so ago, AJ was on this podcast talking about direct to consumer. And a lot of people, seem to really like that podcast. And then I did get some emails saying, you know, asking some basic questions. So I said, AJ, come on back and let's talk about the life cycle of e-commerce kind of from the beginning when the customer starts on websites to the end when there is a sale and it's fulfilled. And then maybe even the returns process if things didn't go quite right. Anyway, last time when you're on my podcast, AJ, you talked about direct to consumer or DTC. And I've only seen that DTC used in the last year or so. And I was like, isn't that just e-commerce? What is the difference between DTC and e-commerce? Because they seem to be used kind of interchangeably. Yeah, so DTC, direct-to-consumer, some people use D2C, is really the same as e-commerce. It's used interchangeably. So when you think about it, though, some e-commerce can also be B2B, but most of the e-commerce transactions that go on are direct-to-consumer. So that's kind of used as an overarching term. So all DTC is e-commerce, but not all e-commerce is DTC because there's that B2B element that's out there. And I think that's going to be a fast-growing area too. Before long, you're going to see (laughs) a lot more of that also. Oh, yeah. So just to give the audience a little background, why don't you give us some e-commerce stats that you hit me with the other day when we were talking? Yeah. So really by 2021, retail e-commerce sales will actually hit 4.9 trillion. And actually that stat might be a little old, but it's definitely going to hit that or maybe be higher just due to the COVID pandemic. And then, you know, on top of that, consumers spent about 601 billion online with merchants in 2019, which was up 15%. So it kind of shows you that the e-commerce space is growing. That's from 18 to 19. I can only imagine the increase for 2020. Yeah, exactly. And data also predicts that by the end of 2020, total e-commerce sales will make up about 16% of all retail sales. And so that number is definitely predicted to just go up and up. Whoa. What was the stat you had about 2040? Looking at the projections, by 2040, as much as 95% of all retail shopping is going to be facilitated by e-commerce. So that means they either bought it online or at least were aided by e-commerce. An online purchase. So that's the next 20 years. So guys, if you don't already know about e-commerce and you got to work for another 20 years, you better get on board and learn <laughs> what you need to about this. So that's crazy. So right now we have about 15% 
14, 15%, 16% of retail yeah. is e-commerce. And by 2040, 95% of shopping will be either facilitated or actually e-commerce. Yeah, that's right. It's pretty remarkable growth. Yeah, that growth is crazy. I guess the other side of it is retail. I mean, if you're tied to retail right now, you better figure out what they need going forward because it's not going to be the model that we currently have. And I wouldn't be surprised if there's some hybrids where there's retail slash e-commerce where you go to a showroom, pick out your computer, and then it gets sent to you. That's what Best Buy does with me. I go over there, mm-hmm. I look at the laptop, I like it, and they said it'll be at your house tomorrow. They ship it from somewhere else. Oh, yeah. And we touched on that a little bit last time. You're also seeing a lot of e-commerce sellers doing pop-up shops and things like that. I think there's always a component of the in-person part of it, but e-commerce, you know, over time has gotten easier and quicker. Yeah. And I think the stuff that we are going to buy offline, you know, in retail, I think it's going to become more of an experience. Remember when Amazon first came out and they said, oh, they're going to sell books so you don't want to have to go to a bookstore anymore. I was like, I want to go to bookstores. I like going to bookstores. Can you save me the trip to Kmart to buy garbage cans? That would be a nice trip to save. Yep. And oh, how things have evolved. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. Today's topic is the e-commerce life cycle. So let's get to it. Where does that life cycle start? Yeah. So typically, just as an overview, first, really the prospective customer, I would call it, usually on their phone, tablet, computer, they'll visit your website. So, you know, prior to that, I guess a lot of things occurred, including, you know, developing the website, working on SEO, working on ads, messaging and branding. So I think that's the stuff that's if you're probably an e-commerce founder, that's probably the stuff you know all about. You know all about the web, oh, yeah. you know all about how to drive traffic. And really how to drive prospective customers to your site and then get them to engage. Right. So step one is getting to the website. That's not easy, but we understand that. We've all done that. So we get that part. So what's number two? Yeah. So number two would be, well, that prospective customer, they're not actually your customer until they buy something. So they'll add whatever they're looking for to the cart and then proceed to pay with their credit card and check out. The transaction gets processed. They pay for it on a sales channel. And what's a sales channel? that the Shopify WooCommerce thing? Yeah. Sales channel could be a variety of things. There's marketplaces like Amazon and eBay, and then there's sales channels like on your own website and the platform you use to facilitate the transaction, which could be something like Shopify or even WooCommerce. So if I was selling on Amazon, I don't need Shopify? No. In that particular case, Amazon actually processes the transaction and sends you an order. On your own website, you need a way to, one, manage the inventory so that you're not selling products that you're sold out of, but also to facilitate the payment and the actual transaction of getting the money in exchange for the product. Okay, so you need to work with a company like Shopify or WooCommerce and one of those others. This last week, AJ, you and I talked about Shopify and I think initially just said, we'll help you with your cart, we'll help you with the transaction. But now they've got all sorts of stuff they're doing with warehouse automation. I think that's one of the companies they own. But on top of that, I think they look more now as if you're going to be successful in this business, you need a partner and that should be us. So yeah, there's some big changes happening in that space too. Yeah. No doubt there'll be a lot more in the next 20 years as e-commerce continues its march. Oh yeah, absolutely. So what's the next step? So yeah, from there, that transaction is actually converted into an order. So that that order can be provided to either your fulfillment center or however you're shipping the product. And typically, 
the fulfillment center or even your own warehouse, you'll use something called a WMS or a warehouse management system to manage your inventory. And a lot of those are coupled with what's called an OMS or an order management system. So all of your orders from your various sales channels will flow into that order management system. WMS would be something you own, correct? You as the fulfillment center? Correct. And then the order management system, is that owned by the e-commerce company or is that owned by also by a company like yours? You know, it could be either. It's really kind of how the direction of that company wants to perform. But for our customers, we provide them an order management system that's linked directly into our warehouse management system. And that order management system, how does that differ? I know with the warehouse management system, that's all about managing inventory and shipping, pickpacking. What's the order management system do? Yeah, the order management system actually connects via an API to your various sales channels. So say you have a WooCommerce, a Shopify, an Amazon, and an eBay that you're selling on. The order management system will actually connect to all of those and consolidate all of your orders into one screen so you can see what has been shipped and what hasn't, what's been paid and what hasn't, and things like that. Got it. So we have an order management system and a warehouse management system. Purposes again for the warehouse management system is you can help manage the inventory for your customers. So what's the next step after that order has gone into the order management system and probably flowed through to the WMS? Yeah. So once the order actually flows into the WMS, the person at the fulfillment center will actually receive the order, and it can be either via a printed sheet or typically now on a warehouse scanning device. That's like a barcode reader. Yeah, it's basically like an Android phone with a barcode reader on it. And what that does is it tells the associate where to go in the warehouse to pick the product. They'll pick that product, scan it, and put it in what's called a tote. And so then why are they scanning it? So at the time when they scan it, they scan it just to ensure that the correct product is picked for that specific order. I take it, it updates the inventory also that this was just scanned and put in a tote? Correct. So what will show up in the WMS is that that particular order is in processing and it's being picked and prepared to ship. I've seen people with totes. Is all the individual customer orders within? So they get an order and let's just say it's five things. Do they put each customer's stuff in the, the one tote? Yeah. So the tote itself is actually assigned to an order. So one order per tote. And there's a few different ways of picking, but that, I think that's the most common. Okay. Got it. And then they take that tote back to the packing station. Correct. And at the packing station, at least in our warehouse, we scan it, you know, one more time just to make sure all the right products are picked. They're packed according, you know, into a box or a, a mailer according to the size of the products and, you know, how fragile they are. Packing materials put in there, it's taped, and then at that point the shipping label is applied. And where do you get the shipping labels that print out of your barcode scanner? Yeah, so once all the products are scanned, it's weighed what it does is it'll actually rate shop the carriers, select the appropriate shipping speed, and then the printer will actually spit out a shipping label for whichever carrier, and that's applied to the box. So I do, uh, like everybody else, a lot of online shopping, but the reason these orders are usually the right stuff is because you scanned it once when you're taking it off the shelf, then you scanned it again when you're putting it in the box to ship it to me. Correct, because really it's two different people handling that order, and you just want to make sure and double check that nothing got mishandled. So I'm sure there's some orders that don't go right. Maybe they ordered wrong, or maybe you guys mishandled. What percent are done correctly the first time, picked and packed and shipped? 
Today we're running at a rate of, I think, 99.78, so 99.8%. Nice. All right, so it's picked, it's packed, it's been scanned a few times, you've packed it, and I'm assuming you've got some sort of best practice for every one of your products for boxing it up, right? And then you put a label on it, and then you guys call FedEx or or UPS or USPS? Yeah, so we have actually got a daily pickup with all three of those carriers. And what they'll do is they'll come pick it up every day, usually later in the day, and take that to the shipping facility. And at the shipping facility, they'll scan that it's been received. But in the background, you know, the minute we print that shipping label through our WMS, it says, okay, well, here's the tracking number in the carrier for this shipment. It'll then report to the OMS and eventually the sales channel saying, hey, this product's been shipped. Here is the tracking number and I'm going to send an email to the customer. So the sales channel like Shopify, once the WMS has marked the orders fulfilled, will then send your customer an email saying, your order's been shipped, here's a tracking number, and then it'll mark that order as fulfilled in the order management system as well. So when that shipment arrives at a consumer's home, they've received it. And so FedEx or UPS or USPS, how do they communicate? Does that information go back through your system, back to Shopify or back to the order management system to let everyone know that we're finished with the process? Yeah, you can actually do that a couple of different ways. Typically, the way we see it is the sales channel will automatically email the customer and communicate that their order has been shipped. But we've also been able to, in some cases, people want to generate that notification out of the order management system, and we've been able to help them with that as well. Cool. So, AJ, I'm going to go real quick on these. I think we got seven steps. I wrote them down. And then I wanted to talk about the returns process before we leave this life cycle. So, prospective customer goes to the website. That's step one. Step two is they put something in their cart. Makes sense. I've done that many times, probably too often. Number three, the transactions process through like a, a Shopify or some other online commerce platform. And that's number three. Number four, the customer transaction is converted into an order so it can be provided at the fulfillment center for picking, packing, and shipping. And you guys use some sort of WMS and there might be an order management system in there too. Yep. Next is the fulfillment center receives that via printed sheet or their scanner and the associate goes and puts one product per tote that scans it first, and then they take it to the packing area. Yep. So once that tote's in the packing area, they scan it again to make sure they got the right product. That means it's been scanned twice. And then the products are packed according to some sort of best practice within your, you know, some sort of guidelines you guys have. And then lastly, the barcode scanner prints out the shipping label and the shipping team adds the label. And in the background, as you said, the tracking information is communicated to one of the carriers. Yep. Woo. <laughs> a lot of work for my little order. Oh, yeah. So if there is a return, what percentage of products are returned? I know there's probably a wide variation, but in your experience, what do you see? Yeah, it heavily varies depending on the industry. I'd say 5 to 7%. That's a lot of work. Tell us how that process works. Yeah, so once a customer initiates a return, essentially depending on whatever rules you have set up for returns, They'll request a return once it's approved, a shipping label is generated from the WMS or the sales channel and sent to the customer. The customer will then you know, ship the return. It would arrive into our warehouse, be inspected, and one of three things really happens. It either goes back into inventory, it's discarded if it's damaged, or we could repair it. And once we process that return, 
it's put into one of those categories. We'll notify the sales channel that, hey, this has been returned, it's been received, and the refund occurs. So what, I mean, again, I know these wide variations. I'm assuming most stuff isn't repaired. It really depends on, like I said, the product. You know, in some cases, like clothing, things can be cleaned. It's hard to really put a number on what percentage. Most stuff would be either put back on the shelf or discarded. Correct. You know, I can see more expensive stuff getting repaired. And then you might have to do something with the packaging, right? Yeah. Sometimes it gets repackaged. Nice. So there's a seven-step process. You just took us through it. And the eighth step, hopefully we don't have to. That's the returns. Correct. So we didn't go through it too many of the problems in that process. But talk about some of the more common problems that you see in the e-commerce lifecycle. Yeah. So being in the fulfillment space, you know, we kind of see a wide variety of them. I guess the first one in my eyes would be sellers not watching or monitoring their orders in the order management system. You know, sometimes there can be glitches in the system as with any software and orders, maybe the tracking doesn't flow back to the sales channel or something breaks in the integration, but the product's actually been shipped. So really monitoring all the various sources of information that you can to ensure that your business is running smoothly. Right. So if you're used to seeing 25 orders a day and all of a sudden you go, oh, I just ran a little report here and I did zero orders today. Then you are quickly into the weeds trying to find out what happened to my 25 orders. Exactly. I think the other piece of that too is just making sure that you give the integration some time to pass the information. Because if you're shipping, you know, 20,000 orders, it does take sometimes up to a couple hours for information to transmit via the API. Right. What's the next thing you see the common problem in e-commerce lifecycle? Yeah, I think when you're setting up your store and really getting your products or buying them or getting them made, managing the barcodes and the SKUs that you set up. So you want to make sure we've seen a lot where maybe a manufacturer changes the SKU name on the label on the product, but maybe kept the barcode the same. So things can happen where you've got two similar colors of a product and maybe the written SKU on there is different, but you scan the barcode and it's the same as the one that it's very similar to. So the red sweater and the blue sweater both have the same SKU. Yeah. Remind me what SKU stands for again. SKU is a stock keeping unit. So it's how you would manage your products on your sales channel. So somebody might have picked a blue sweater online. And then when it comes to the fulfillment center, you look and go, all the sweaters have the exact same SKU. I don't know which one to put into the tote. Right. Especially in clothing, you know, it's very important to set up your SKUs so they're easily recognizable. A lot of times we'll see like a code for style, color, and size, right? Variation. <laughs> yeah, I can understand. Those details matter. Where the rubber meets the road is when that guy's holding that scanner in your facility, right? And he says, yep. this doesn't work. <laughs> exactly. So managing those barcodes and SKUs is very important. Yep. So what is the next thing you see? What's another common problem? Another really common one is lack of inventory planning. So not looking at your sales volume, forecasting it out and seeing when you need to reorder from your supplier. For instance, even nowadays on Amazon, if you run out of inventory, they'll essentially ding your company and you'll kind of drop on the list there. Yeah, if you're not on that first page or the first few pages, it can be really hard to sell from what I understand. Ephraim Ouch on here, and he's a fulfillment guy too. And he does freight boarding and a lot of fulfillment by Amazon. And he said that 
it's really easy to lose your place on Amazon if you don't do well with your inventory. Oh, yeah. They're not very friendly about it when you run out. (laughs) They're running a pretty tight ship. And he said, you used to be able to send a lot of inventory to Amazon, but now they don't want a lot of inventory. They want you to really have a good handle on it. They're not a warehouse. They're a fulfillment center just like yours. They won't want a ton of your products sitting around. It either sells or it stays at your place. Yep. And we've seen a lot of that, especially recently. And you know, another part of that too is when you stock out of a product or you run out, customers can't get what they want. So there's a lot of dissatisfaction there. AJ, when we were talking about this project online, I tried to order some gym shorts that I've ordered probably five times. And I went online and I went to Amazon and they weren't available. Well, they were available. They were available in extra small, which Mm -hmm. I clearly am not, and extra, (laughs) extra, extra large, which I'm also not. (laughs) I couldn't get my size. And then I got thrown into this thing where I had to find another pair of gym shorts. And I hate having to go through that process. I'm not going back. I just got two new pairs of shorts that I love. I'm not going back to my own shorts maker. So Asics, (laughs) congratulations, you screwed up. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And really the bar's rising, you know, Managing that inventory and planning your inventory is very important. Right. In the next 20 years, I think we're all going to become more demanding. The expectations have really risen, and Amazon's done that for us all, even on the B2B side. I've heard so many times in recent years where somebody says, I ordered a box of toothpaste and it was on my porch two days later, so I don't know why I can't have fill in unreasonable requests. (laughs) Yep. What's another problem you commonly see in this space? Yeah, I think it's kind of on the same terms as the lack of inventory planning, but also lack of SKU management. So having too much inventory or too many SKUs makes things a lot more complex, makes you prone to a lot of errors, and can be very expensive. If you have extra product, I mean, extra SKUs, that means you have extra stuff on AJ's shelves and you're paying for it. And I've seen reports, I'm sure they're pretty common, is which SKUs are selling. And you see a report where you say, hey, these SKUs sell very little. And it probably always falls into some sort of 80-20 distribution. 20% of your product sells 80% of the stuff for many businesses, I'm assuming. Oh, yeah. That rule is actually kind of fascinating how true that rule stands. So do you find your better customers are looking at SKUs and saying, I have too much complexity. And on top of that, I'm paying AJ every month to store stuff that's not selling and it's going out of style, or it's becoming obsolete? Yeah, I mean, we've had customers that have eighteen or 20,000 SKUs, and I think what happens is you forget exactly how much stuff you have, especially when you're using a fulfillment partner, and there's a lot of money tied up in that inventory as well. Right. It's probably a really hard decision because you say, I'm not throwing it out. I don't want to throw it out. I either put it on sale and somehow get rid of it that way or sell it to somebody else who's I mean, overstock or whatever, but it's got to be pretty painful to admit that what I had on AJ's shelves for the last six months isn't going anywhere. Yep. And a lot of it ties back to, you know, planning out your inventory and making sure you're adopting just-in-time models and things like that. Excellent. So what's another problem you see commonly in this space? I think the last one, you know, the one I see very commonly is just choosing the wrong partner in a 3PL or fulfillment center. A lot of them are inexperienced. Fast-growing space. It is very fast growing. And a lot of the traditional 3PLs, as I call them, they're not used to dealing with small package and the volume that we see. Fulfillment is a lot more labor intensive than your typical warehousing for B2B companies. It might not be a good fit to go with 
a fulfillment center, 3PL like that for your e-commerce store. You've got to really pick someone who has the operational skill set, the right cost structure, and give you kind of the attention that's needed in the space. Yep. I know what we're getting to in this logistics business and the warehousing business, fulfillment business, is that we're all starting to specialize. Because if you have never delivered to home, it's a different business. And I think there's a lot of probably large 3PLs, warehousing companies, and I'm sure they do a great job on what they do. Not all of them move quickly to fulfillment. I'm sure some of them will, but especially as they see the trends towards e-commerce, there is a big difference between saying, I sent 20 LTL trucks out today versus 1,000 orders for a given customer. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and really, you know, getting those orders shipped on time in the same day, it's really key to having successful e-commerce. It's pretty demanding as far as when you get an order. So if you got an order at 2 o'clock, does it go out the same day in your place? Yeah. So we guarantee all the orders that come in by 2 p.m. go out that same day. <laughs> That's pretty demanding. Again, I as a consumer can tell you it's demanding. AJ got to hear all my e-commerce nightmares as of late. <laughs> I ordered some shirts the other day and it's going to take eight days for the shirts to arrive. I won't mention the company, but it was a company I've always done business with in their actual stores. And I bought something online and I was like, wow, eight days. I was used yeah. to just going to that store and picking out some shirts. And now all of a sudden I'm ordering them online. I keep thinking they're a traditional retailer that's going to have to learn the new ways. Oh yeah. It's certainly not easy for traditional retailers to convert, but We've actually worked with a lot of traditional retailers and have helped kind of put their e-commerce platforms into warp speed. Well, and they came from a very demanding space, so I imagine they're a little bit battle-tested, so they're ready for the fight. Oh, yeah. AJ, this is great stuff. I do appreciate you taking us through this. So why don't you summarize those problems for us real quick? Yeah, so overall, e-commerce is still relatively new, but it's growing very rapidly, especially with COVID. And as it grows, really, the bar is getting a lot higher and getting higher quickly. Customer expectations are increasing. Amazon had a big effect on that to where five to seven day delivery really doesn't cut it anymore. Innovation is really the new normal, especially in this space. You've got to innovate or you're kind of out to dry. It's really hard to dabble in e-commerce. You've really got to focus on it and be innovative and push your products. And as things are growing so rapidly, the competition is becoming increasingly fierce and is increasing day by day. Picking the right partner, whether it's for software, your sales channels, your payment platform, your vendors, and even the fulfillment center is very important. You want to select partners that will help you win, not slow down your growth. Yep, absolutely. And I can see the bar is rising for sure. And I think the competition is increasingly fierce. You know, as soon as companies like Costco and Walmart, I know Walmart's already doing it, but as soon as Costco, Walmart, some of these other big players start throwing some money behind some of these I can imagine there'll be competition to Amazon.com that we haven't seen before. I mean, for the most part, I'm sure Walmart does very well, but most consumers, I imagine, accept Amazon.com as probably the number one place to go. Oh, yeah. The rest are distant second. You're seeing that kind of change a little bit, and it'll be interesting to see how that pans out for the next few years. I always think that there's some big money in retail. <laughs> some, some companies are going to spend, and they're going to get really good at it. Oh, yeah. Anyway, AJ, thank you so much. Before we wrap this up, tell us what's new over at Fulfilled. Fulfilled spelled F-U-L-F-Y-L-D. Yeah, absolutely. We've been growing very fast and expanding. We recently bought a new property and are still buying more just to build more facilities and have room for growth. 
as well as adding some automation and things like that. We're keeping up with the market and trying to be ahead of it since things are moving very quickly. <laughs> yeah, I think COVID was probably pretty good for fulfillment centers. Yeah. <laughs> Perhaps wrong way to say that, but if there was any part of the economy that seemed to do better, it was e-commerce. Yeah, you know, more and more people are ordering things online, so it's been very fast-paced. Well, thank you so much, AJ. I really appreciate you taking the time. Awesome. Thank you as well, Joe. It's been fun. Until next time, I'm Gordon Upward. You've been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage in conversations with experts in the logistics field. If you're an expert and would like to be featured on the Logistics of Logistics podcast, please email Joe Lynch at joe at the logisticsoflogistics.com. 